But yeah, thank you guys for so much for having me. Today we're going to be going into Genesis, Genesis 3. So if you guys have a Bible, I encourage you guys to look through. We're going to go verse by verse. Uh, that's the way I like to do it. So that way if I stick to the Word so I won't make as many mistakes, um, let God's Word guide us. Uh, but before we dive in, I want to pray and ask God's blessing upon today. So God, we thank you for just Grace Life Church and the ministry here, Lord. And the people that are here, Father. And I pray that through today's word, God, that we would be encouraged to see what our foreparents did, Adam and Eve, and how much we are like them. And the deceitfulness that sin can creep in, but push us most of all to see the glory of Christ. Uh, that you came for the rebels, us, Lord. While we were uh, yet sinners, Christ died for us, Father. And I pray that we would be encouraged and to go forth uh, today and throughout the week to give the good news to others that Christ saves. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to prime today's message with a saying of Pontius Pilate in John 18, because this is going to kind of give a forefront of what Adam and Eve did. When Jesus was on trial, Pilate said to him, Are you a king? And Jesus said, you yourself said, I am a king. For this reason, I have been born. For this, I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who listens to me, Jesus says, and hears my voice, it listens to the truth. And Pilate said exactly what Adam and Eve and what we like to do. He says, what is truth? We like to find out and determine what truth is ourselves. And this is what we call in the question, here in the beginning, with Adam and Eve. As I was praying what to bring today, I think this is probably the most important thing for the church to do, is to instill the foundation here of Genesis. John Piper, in a latest book, he says about this part right here, he says, the first creation became a theater for an even greater display of glory. So even though we fell, as we're about to see into sin, became a greater display of glory. And you might ask, what is that glory? That because we fell and because we sinned, the glory of the saving grace through Jesus Christ was able to be possible. So let's dig in. We're going to start at Genesis 2.25, and I'm going to read through, and then we're going to go verse by verse by verse all the way through. So verse 25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked. So that's Adam and Eve. And listen to this. They were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the trees in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of them were both opened, And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths or clothing. So Moses here, he's priming here. He's, he's the writer of the Pentateuch. And this first verse, and the man and his wife were both naked and was not ashamed. He wants you guys to know and us that shame is a human characteristic. And our clothes are the most obvious recognition that we're trying to hide something. In the garden, Adam and Eve were fully known and they were fully loved. So think about that. You, they were fully known, naked in the presence of God and not ashamed. We all know that that's not right, that we shouldn't feel this shame. And here, to experience this fully known and fully loved again is through Christ's final sacrifice in Jesus Christ. So I don't know if you guys have ever been familiar with the movie called Pleasantville. It's an older movie. It was about 22 years ago, and it has Tobey Maguire and Don Knotts in it. And I love Don Knotts. My wife and I are huge Andy Griffith fans. We watch it very often, only if we could be in that town. Uh, but in Pleasantville, the whole story is about these two people that got transported. It's like they almost read Genesis. And they, these two people got transported. Tobey Maguire was one of them. And they go into this utopian society where everything is perfect. But the movie is in black and white. And then slowly, sin starts to creep into this town. And then color starts to appear in the movie. One sin at a time, color starts to appear through the town of Pleasantville. And this is the clincher right here. The people start to believe that Pleasantville wasn't so pleasant. They had to have some sin in there, make some color into their life. And to think about this, Satan today is pulling off the same old tricks in movies thousands of years later, in families, in societies, and in our own hearts today. My hope in Genesis 3 will be refreshed in the deceitfulness of our own selves, the schemes of the enemy, and the only solution which God provided in the gospel of Christ. This is the sum of today. Kenneth Matthew says this right, rightly. He says, The woman listens to the serpent, the man listened to the woman, and no one listened to God. So point one, there's going to be four points in the sermon if you're taking notes. The first point comes in verse one is the temptation. Right now, the temptation. Verse one says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now serpent, the word snake in Hebrew, is listen to this, this is pretty cool, is nakash. Sounds just like a snake. And I, I always think the English language is so boring. In the Hebrew, you actually get what the sound is supposed to represent. Nakas. And we try to think, actually, Satan comes like a little red guy, like with a pitchfork, just like he tries to portray himself in our societies today, in our, in our movies, to entice Eve that, you know, I'm a cool guy. You know, I'm not going to lead you astray. Comes like a little snake, harmless. You could, you could kick that thing. It'd be fine. But here, the Bible says that Satan is a lion looking for people to devour. Maybe you know some people who have professed faith in Christ, and then little by little, the enemy got in, started to doubt God, started to question God. And he does that to us today. He might creep in behind our shoulder without us knowing while we're on our computers. He might creep in while we're on our phone, maybe flipping through Facebook. I say this to myself, or reading our books, wasting time away, while well, every heartbeat could be the last. And he does this with Eve shortly, we'll see. 
The first question we should ask ourselves is, Adam and Eve were made in the garden. But here he comes and questions the woman. Where's Adam in this? And I love this. Just there's so much in Genesis. I could, I, as I was doing, I was like, how could I do this justice in like 35 minutes? I can't. There's just so much. But right here where Adam is, it's funny that through this whole text that we read, every time that he says, you shall not eat, or God said, you shall not do this, it's in the plural form. So actually, Adam is present the whole time. Satan is talking to them as if there's more than one person there. And what's interesting is I've heard great things about the men here at Grace Life and the women. But men, we start to lack sometimes. Maybe we neglect our families. But as men, we are to guide our families, not be like Adam and sit wayside. As Ephesians 5 says, we are to lead our family and wash them in the word of God. So I encourage you, men, if you're not doing this regularly, wash your family in the word of God because we will give an account one day. Men are to be warriors that love others and have a gospel-saturated love. So in Orlando, Florida, I spent some time down there. I was going to college for a little bit. And there was an abortion clinic. And it was funny, we were talking about compass care. There was an abortion clinic that... Uh, people of this Bible college would come out and we would preach the gospel. And thousands of babies were saved. People came to know Christ through the preaching of the ministry. But so often you would see men bring these women with these little baby bumps into the abortion mill. And they would kill their babies. And the women would go in and the men would stand out cowardly and do nothing about it. And they led them to the slaughter. And this is just one example of men dropping the ball like Adam. Whether it's pimps, or husbands glued to their sports teams, or busy fathers who are trying to build an earthly kingdom built of sand. Men, we are we're created to be protect, provide, and be present. That last one's hard for me to do. Be present, not be detached. So here, look also what, what happens here. It says Satan was being a crafty. He was crafty. He said, did God say? Just a question. He didn't start out with a blatant lie. What's interesting is through chapter 1 and 2, constantly we hear the beginning, as he was reading in John 1, in the beginning was the word. In Genesis 1, it starts out in the beginning, God made. And it said, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And it says, the Lord God made uh, uh, the waters. The Lord God made the animals. The Lord God rested on the Sabbath. But here he doesn't say the Lord God. He says, did God. He didn't use God's covenant name, Lord, Yahweh. And what he wants him to think, that the name here of God is just Elohim. It's just trying to say, just this generic God, did this generic God just say, that has no jurisdiction over your life, Eve, just wants you to be happy, wants you to be free, no strings attached. Does that sound familiar, this generic God? That isn't the God of the Bible. And that's what Satan's trying to do, creep in, not use the covenant name of God. Also, Satan doesn't outright deny God's holy word, but he posed a question. The question slips in to question her faith and question the goodness of God. We think of the the Hebrews in the wilderness. They questioned God, and it says in the book of Hebrews that they died in the wilderness because they didn't take every thought captive. So as Christians, we should take the every thought captive and not be like Eve here or the Israelites. So in point number two, The downward spiral, verses 2 and 3. Listen carefully what Eve says here, because it will give a rub off of what our hearts are like. And the woman said to the serpent, 
we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God, isn't that interesting? Now she's saying, but God, not but the Lord God. So she used Satan's tactic, just some generic God. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, least or lest you die. So Eve does three no-nos right here. She diminished God's word, she added to God's word, and then she softened God's word. Diminished, added, and softened. So working backwards here, where did she soften it? She said, lest we die. God did not say that. God said back in Genesis 2, you will surely die if you eat of the tree. And as Christians, we do this as well, and the world likes to do it, is we like to soften the truth of God's word. I think of one place that society can do that with it, with being maybe about gender roles. We don't want to, we don't want to get in the midst of that and stir up things. But for God's love, we can actually encourage people to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Also, where else do we soften it? Maybe someone passes away and they never professed faith in Christ. They never had repentance in Christ. And we can bless them right to heaven without Christ. We got to be on guard that that is a gospel opportunity to bring the good news of Christ. We must not back down from what Scripture says. And as Christians, who do we live for? We don't live for the world. We live for Christ. We live for an audience of one. Also, the added. Where did she add it? This is the most obvious spot. Because God did not say touching the fruit was off limits. He said you're going to eat of it. And this reminds me so much of ourselves as sinful nature. You can ask my wife, I'll heighten things, maybe over-exaggerate things sometimes, and she's good about calling me out. I'm glad for that. But also with kids, you know, if you have kids, sometimes someone might get hit uh, playing around, and actually it was an accident, and a little girl, a little boy run up and say, Mommy, Billy hit me. In actuality, he didn't mean it. So he heightened, she actually heightened God's word and added to it, making him more stricter. So we've seen softening, adding, and then here's last, diminishing God's word. So these are all things we got to be on guard for in our own lives, or we're going to end up like Eve. So where did she diminish it? It says, Eve said in the beginning of this phrase, we may eat of the trees in the garden. We may eat the trees in the garden. You might be asking, where did she diminish it? No, God said you may eat of every tree except one. So she was in a garden of paradise with hundreds of thousands of yeses, all yeses but one. And she just says, yeah, we can eat the trees. we got to be on guard with all the blessings of Christ. It's not we have some blessings. No, we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We can get a hundred attaboys, and that one critique kind of ruffles our feathers. We like to have everything. But I think this is the clincher right here. On top of all of this, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, there was two, two trees of big significance in the garden. Two trees. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of eternal life. She went for the knowledge over life. And isn't that like us today? Ready? I love this part. We today have fact checkers on Facebook. We have news checkers. We have COVID checkers. We have voting checkers. Where is the eternal life fact checkers? We are all one heartbeat from eternity, but we're more obsessed about the knowledge than the eternal life. One heartbeat away and only a string. It can snap at any moment, but Christ is the only one that can hold us up. One. 
one heartbeat away. And here Eve, by continuing, like we do with our sin, continuing the dialogue with Satan, is showing she's starting the cave. She's starting the compromise. And Satan is about to say, check me. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Man, that sounds like the enemy right there. You will surely not die. At this moment, Satan, disguising himself through the possession of the snake, has asked one question. Now he throws out a blatant lie. In the Hebrew, he actually says the word not is low. And it's at the beginning of what he says. So he doesn't actually say, you shall surely not die. He says, not, you shall surely die. So he's trying to throw out there, it's a lie. Right in the beginning of the sentence, not, you shall surely die. So Satan's promoting, God has lied to you, Eve. And thus, this is the first doctrine ever denied in the Bible. What is the first doctrine denied? Divine judgment for disobedience. God's not going to punish you. There's, there's, there's not a holy God out there. There's no judge. And if there is no judge and there, God is not holy, then the beauty of the cross is not there. We don't get to see the beauty that God loved the rebels. If God can save us apart from the death and the resurrection of Christ, if we deny this doctrine that Satan's trying to promote, then Paul says in Galatians, Christ died needlessly. There was no reason for Christ to come if there wasn't a payment that had to be paid. And also, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, what is there the good news to go out and tell people if Christ does not punish the sin of the rebels? So there is a resounding clashes of symbols here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that Christ does take away all sins of believers. But here Satan is saying, don't you worry, Eve. Go ahead, dabble in that sin. You will not die and you won't get in trouble. Now Satan goes on a roll here, verse 5. He made one lie here. Once you make one lie, it's easier to start making some more lies. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. So God's holding out on you. That's what he's trying to say. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This double lie by Satan here makes Eve to decide what is right and wrong. Eve, you have the, the power to determine. You have what's within. You can determine what truth is. You know, be you. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what God says. She has the immoral autonomy. That's what we'd call it. She's self-law. She can make the choices. Instead of theonomy, God's law, which is righteous and good and keeps us from pain. Kent here says, when we doubt God's word, what exactly Eve is doing right here, and the goodness of God, the ground is coming up fast. So think about falling off a bridge or something. The ground is coming up fast when we start doubting God's word and the goodness of it. So I want to, back, uh, back a while ago, I never learned the term what the goat means. I was like, why are we talking about a goat every time it comes to sports? But it means greatest of all time. And here in verse 5 is exactly what Satan is promising Eve, to be like God. So I think of Tom Brady. I can't stand Tom Brady. I wish he would just retire, the guy. He's won enough championships, this guy. (laughs) But even though he's won, he's still coming back. He still wants to prove something. Maybe for some of us older, like Michael Jordan, he won three championships. He retired, went and played baseball, which is a huge flop. And then he went and did another three championships. Then he retired. Then he came back. He's still trying to prove something. Even back in the 20s, Rockefeller, 
He was the richest person in the world and was asked, how much is enough money, Rockefeller? And he said, just a little bit more. And this reminds me of that U2 song. I don't know if you know this song. It's, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Why is it that we want to search to be the goat when there's only one goat? We can keep going, keep on trying to get as many championships, as much money, whatever it is, as much approval, as much Facebook likes, whatever it is, it's never enough. And I'll tell you why. It's because the finite cannot find itself in the shadow of the infinite. That's why. The only way we can actually find ourselves is actually in the wing of the infinite, under his loving care, saying, you're God, I'm not. And so, Eve, this is point three. Eve did not listen and she rebelled like we all have and she ate. So this is point three, the fall of man. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, so she's flipped it, now the tree is good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, so I have that knowledge, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her. So he was right there watching the whole thing. Let it happen. And he ate. So look at what happened here. Listen to this. For Adam and Eve to get to this point, they desired it. They desired the sin. And the act brought forth spiritual death. So James, in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, this is a perfect illustration of what happens when we get tempted. It says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away from their sinful desires and enticed. And then when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully born, brings forth to death. And I thought about another good illustration. We're all familiar with David's story. David saw Bathsheba bathing up on a rooftop. And he looked. But then the look turned into a stare. The stare turned into adultery. Adultery turned into murder. And so sin... If you can imagine this illustration, sin is like a big stone being thrown into a pond, okay? Big stone being thrown into a pond. There's a big splash as it enters the water, but that ripple of the sin goes out far greater than that initial splash. Keeps growing. And so the splash was the looking, the desiring, and the conceiving. And the ripple of that is death that affected all of us. Verse 7, as we come here to the last verse here. Then their eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and made themselves clothing. I love this part because as I was reading it, I could just see the panic. Oh no, I did something I shouldn't have done. i got to start sewing fig leaves. Like, what does that even look like, sewing fig leaves together? Where did they get the string? How did they do this? They use vines? Like, but they're looking, how am I going to cover up this sin? And we've all done this. We try to cover up our imperfections through our clothing. I know sometimes when I dress up real good, I feel good. Why is that? Because I'm covering up what's on the inside. Maybe our educational disease, or degrees. Maybe our bank accounts. Maybe our serving or our tithing or getting a bunch of Facebook likes. Whatever it is can never wash away the sin-stained conscience except the blood of Christ. I like this book right here. R.C. Sproul quotes on our condition. This is really good. R.C. Sproul says in the the book, Truths We Confess, he says, humanity is in a supreme paradox. We are at the same time creatures of the highest grandeur, but also the worst misery. We're able to reflect on an existence that other creatures cannot do, but also contemplate a better life that one cannot achieve. 
We, cannot cont- we can contemplate a life without disease or death or pain and sorrow and sin. But so far, we have been unable to get such an existence. Though Christians, we look forward to a new heavens and earth where this is no more. The Bible declares that we were not created in a state of fallenness, but in a pristine state of righteousness where there was no sin and no death or pain. And C.S. Lewis brings us together. I love how C.S. Lewis brings us together. He says that desires always have a fulfillment. If we're hungry, what do we do? We go eat. We have a desire, it comes. If we, if we desire a relationship, we get married. There's a fulfillment that was there. And we all desire a place where there's no more sin, that we can truly not be ashamed anymore, where we don't have to cover ourselves up and appear better than what we really are. And C.S. Lewis says, because that desire is there, it must mean it exists. It will be fulfilled in heaven. And that's what the Bible says. Everyone has an innate knowledge. All over the world, people are covering themselves with whatever they can. And this gets to the fourth point right here. The promise of redemption. This is that theater that Piper talked about in the very beginning, that now the glory of the saving grace of Christ comes in. It's one thing to love perfect creatures. It's another thing to love fallen rebels. Every religion says this, cover yourself, work harder, put on this, put on that, and you'll be beautiful and acceptable in God's sight. But nothing we know can take out the sin-stained tainted works. Even in Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, they started covering themselves with fig leaves. But in verse 15 of Genesis 15 here in in chapter 3, it says that there's going to be someone that's going to come and crush the head of our sin and the serpent, Satan. Thousands of years before Jesus even came. So if there's one thing that you can take away, is God provided... God provided, and God provided. He could have wiped us out right then. He could have said, I I made you guys and you rebelled, I'm done. But he didn't do that. That's not our God. Our God is a God of grace upon grace upon grace. No matter what you've committed, no matter what you've done. And when they sowed these fig leaves on themselves, God didn't leave them in those fig leaves. That's a little detail that sometimes is left out as well. We we find at the end of chapter uh, 3 that he actually provided clothes that he made for them which is Christ. That's a picture of Christ. doesn't matter what you did, Adam and Eve, and you're trying to work and put some stuff on. That's not going to be enough. What I do is enough. And look into Matthew 4. This is a parallel right here. Matthew 4, you guys don't have to turn here. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, was tempted just like Adam and Eve. He went out in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. But what did Jesus do? He became a better Adam. He became the perfect Adam. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word of God. And then at the end, he said, Satan, be gone. Don't talk to me. And that's what Eve should have done. And that's what we should do. We should fight with God's word, know God's word, and say, Satan, be gone. There is only one Lord that I worship. So Christ being God truly stored up the word of God in his heart. So I want to turn to Romans 5, verses 18 through 22. Because then you get to see a parallel what Christ did compared to what Adam did. Chapter 5 of Romans, verses 18 through 22. It says here, actually 21. Therefore, one trespass, so that means one sin led to the condemnation for all men. So that's Adam's sin. So one act, that's Christ, 
of righteousness led to justification to all men and life. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam and Eve, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see this flip, flop? Look what Adam and Eve did. Look what Christ did. Now the many are made righteous. Verse 20, Now the law came in that, that the increase of sin may happen. But sin, where sin increased, listen to this last part, grace abounded all the more. So as much as our sin increases every day, Actually, in the Greek, it says that God's grace super abounds. We cannot out God's grace. In verse 21, he says, So that as, one, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life and Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's our conclusion here? Store up the word of God in our hearts. Meditate on it. Meditate on the whole counsel of God's word, the hard parts, the good parts. Don't be arrogant or ignorant of the adversary. There is someone prowling around, deceiving the world, wanting them not to believe in God's word. Don't soften it. Don't add to it. Don't diminish it. Those are all temptations for ourselves and for churches and societies to do. Lastly, be bold at a compassion for your neighbor that might not know the gospel. Because we have the truth that Pilate asked for when he said, what is truth, when Christ was standing right in front of him. So I'm going to end with these two little nuggets because I love how the Bible just paints a beautiful story here. Like all great stories, they come full circle. You kind of think of a song. Uh, it might begin with the course and it ends with the course. It just encapsulates, makes that story complete. So where did we die spiritually? We learned today that we died in a garden. Remember, where did Jesus get buried? He got buried in a garden, in a tomb, in a garden. And then he raised from the dead from that garden. So he's encapsulating the story. We died in the garden. He defeated death in the garden. Lastly, when we're in heaven, it says that there's a great chasm that separates us from those that didn't believe in Christ and those that did believe in Christ. And when we were kicked out of the garden, it says that there was a flaming sword keeping us from going back into the garden. And in heaven, there's a great chasm that keeps us from going out from the garden. We will be in the garden. We'll be in eternal life forever and ever. There won't be no going back. We're kept in. So with Christ as our Savior... We were all undoubtedly here, well done, good and faithful servant. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now, I love that word, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say once you work up and do enough. Right now at this moment, heaven's gates are wide open. There's nothing we have to do. Christ has won. We are clothed. Think about that. We are clothed now in the perfect robes of Jesus' life. And when God looks at us, he clothed us. He clothed Adam and Eve. And he's painting this story to the praise of his glory, to God alone. So I thank you guys for today. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for the grace that you gave us, that you could have been done with us there in the beginning of the garden, Lord. But no, you rescued us, Lord, through Christ. Um, 
I think so much within my own life and probably everyone here, we can see that we allow your word to be crept in and we change it. Maybe we won't believe it or maybe we won't be bold enough. But thankfully, you cover all those sins, God. And as you said, by your stripes, we were healed. Every part of us, God, is beautiful in your sight, God. And we thank you, God, for your holy word that we have the honey that is to our souls, the true thing that gives us food to our soul, that we are not thirsty anymore for sin because of what Christ has done. We found what the meaning and purpose of life, which is in Christ. We don't say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, or I still haven't found what I'm trying to look for. We have found, we have found that true drink of Christ. But thank you, God. Keep us, keep us in your word in these times uh, when so many are questioning it. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.